Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner, and we are still in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) The past few weeks have left many of us rattled, disoriented, and unsure about what's ahead. We're asking and re-asking core questions like, who am I? What really matters? And what does the future hold? Simultaneously, we're also looking to media, literature, and art for answers, relief, and inspiration. So today, I have a unique opportunity to aid this process. It'll take some creativity and participation on your part, and it will most definitely illuminate as much as you want to see. If there are any skills I've mastered and feel confident sharing, it's the tools in this episode. So take a few deep breaths and join me on your own hero's journey. Imagine if your life were actually just a movie and you are a character in the story. What is your beginning, middle, and end? Is it a comedy, drama, or thriller? Are you the lead, a supporting role, or a miscellaneous passerby? Now I invite you to step outside of yourself as the character to a place of observer, as if you're watching the character move through the world. This time, you're not just an audience member in a theater, you're actually the actor. You have been cast in the biopic about your life, and you must create and customize the character of you in the story. How do you turn a paper-thin person from a script into a three-dimensional, believable, original, living being? How do you make choices about the way you speak and act in the outside world that reflect your earlier backstory while also carrying you closer to your desired destination before the credits roll? Don't worry, today our guests and I will coach you to an Oscar-winning performance of yourself. Yes, we are visiting my old stomping grounds, the wonderful world of movies, TV, and entertainment with one of Hollywood's hottest rising starlets to uncover the riveting parallels between acting, storytelling, and our own identities and life stories. We're also going to get intimate about her experience of fame, the impact of being part of such a timely and groundbreaking project, and more. So joining in studio is longtime soul friend of mine, Annie Gonzalez, the multi-hyphenate actress, singer, and producer, known most recently for her role as Lydia, the educated feminista who fully embraces her roots on Netflix's new hit series, Hentified, a very poignant and timely story that is making much-deserved waves around the world. The show centers on three cousins who band together to keep their grandfather's popular Boyle Heights taco shop in business as the neighborhood becomes more gentrified. Throughout the show's first season, the cousins confront their differences in their connections to their community, their heritage, and their commitment to the family business, all while navigating larger themes of gentrification and the marginalization of the Latino Latinx population in America. Heads up, I recognize using the term Latinx is controversial. However, I feel it's important to honor the words that the show has chosen to use to describe itself. So I will be saying Latinx throughout the interview. Without further ado, Annie, welcome to the show. 
Hey, girl. Hey. (laughs) So Annie and I have known each other since we were negative five years old when we were both cast in this uh, triple threat super group (laughs) for a dance instructional DVD series. I won't give you the name because I don't want you to go on the internet and find it. (laughs) I am just so incredibly proud of you and your journey, not just because of the show, but because of the powerhouse and, and force of nature that you are. So For the first part of the conversation, I want to dive into your expertise with acting since you have extensive training both formally and on the job. You can make it as interactive with the listeners as you want. As we go, we'll also tie in your own story and how the roles you and all of us play in real life will evolve just as your character evolves on the show. And then in the latter part, we'll get into kind of the critical meaning and momentum behind Hentified and um, what you're currently experiencing as fame enters your reality overnight in Hollywood. <laughs> so let's get to it. Um, just simple things. It's I know. Fine. It's just super easy. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that um, artists approach and tell stories It's a crash course in understanding humanity from psychology to Mm -hmm. sociology to physicality. And it can be very overwhelming, just like the process of self-discovery. But there are so many life lessons that we can pull from the acting process. Mm -hmm. So let's pretend our listeners just received an audition to play themselves in their own biopic tomorrow. What's the first thing you do to assess a character and a script? And a project. Well, first, I mean, I, I read through it. Mm-hmm. And I try and look at the role or the story for what it is, not for what I want it to be or how I would like to make it. Thereafter, then figure out the backstory to see how I got there. Mm-hmm. And that came by way of going to therapy and understanding myself better. Because I, I feel like if you're judging something that you're trying to play, you're never going to play it correctly. You're always going to come from a place of judgment and therefore it won't be likable. It'll be too on the nose when we know so many times, even the worst quote unquote people in our life come from these places. And that is why they are doing said these worst things, you know? Mm, Yeah. Even understanding who's writing it, who's producing it, who's directing it, what network is involved, mm. um, the tone changes as you watch a CW show versus you know HBO to just know, like you said, what story is being told. Many people think actors are the top of the food chain because they see people <laughs> at the Oscars, but really in many ways, we're the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> I, I love to put it like this. I'm like, you see a bag of chips, right? And everybody glorifies the chip inside the bag, but we don't understand the product placement the everybody in the room who's designed the bag because this is the perfect way and this is what gets people and these colors that need to go into it da, da, da. and I realized I am just the chip so in in my little chippy world I'm trying to honor everyone put me in this bag and sealed me up and protected me and made me feel safe enough to express and tell my story via this medium but I know mm-hmm. it is not I would not look half as good without the lighting and the producing and the voices of the writers and and it all has to be this beautiful amalgamation of everyone coming together so if you were playing yourself in a movie that documents your birth to the present chapter what genre would your life movie be? A dramedy for sure <laughs> so if it's a dramedy what genre do you want it to be? I like I like that it's a dramedy. I like that I'm able to make fun. I and mean, this is how I combat 
a lot of my trauma and pain is via comedy. I'm, I mean, you know, I'm always making jokes. Even during this quarantine time, I sent you a horrible text <laughs> that made your heart pound. <laughs> but that's how I feel like I've, me and my family, and even culturally, how we move through things, it's always through humor. So I, I don't mind it. I feel like I, learning to understand the ebb and flow. And now I'm entering more of a, a peaceful place in this chapter of life. Even mm-hmm. with all the chaos going on, I'm still trying to stay as grounded and as humorous and as human as possible. Yeah, let's talk to the listeners about character breakdowns because, of course, they themselves are going to be portraying themselves, but they have to understand who they are. So, in the industry, character breakdowns provide sort of the quick and dirty details of who's who in the story by listing you know, ethnicity, age, often body type for female characters, personality, whether they're a lead, best friend, love interest, villain, and then a little bit about like their personal arc um, and their relationship to the bigger narrative. So Hollywood, just as society, tends to stereotype quite a bit and they limit the roles someone can audition for and book. And so I want to know, Annie, can you give some examples of how they've described roles you've auditioned for over the years and how has that affected your concept of yourself? So I've, I've also gone through a lot of changes physically within the last four or five years. And it started off because of a manager of mine that had told me that I was in an in-between weight class. She's like, you're not big enough to play the chubby fat girl, but you're also not small enough to play, you know, the, the series regular, the leading female ingenue, like you need to pick a side. And even just here, cause it, cause it wasn't coming from my vantage point. I was like, what? I'm a normal human. I'm cute. I'm this, I have long hair. Yeah. I got a little extra, you know, fluff on me, but so does like everybody else in the world, unless you're on TV. Why is this, why can't this not be shown? It really affected me, especially looking at breakdowns. Cause then I dropped my manager. And after that I started self-submitting and it was interesting, the things that I got called in for and the things that I didn't. And then the transition from losing weight to how my casting type changed mm. because my whole life, a lot of it was, well, so I'm Latinx. I'm a woman. I am not your typical, what the media has portrayed a Latina woman is, you know, I don't have an accent. I, I'm fifth generation. So I didn't learn how to speak Spanish till it was much later. I love musical theater and R and B and funk. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time going into these rooms, it was like, ah, we like you. We just don't know what to do with you. So that created a large complex in who I was. Cause then I didn't know what to do with me. I thought, sheesh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Do I develop an accent and try and fit this mold? Luckily, from the grace of source or something above, I changed the narrative of how I saw myself and I fig- I realized that it was a bigger purpose of mine to want to change the narrative that Hollywood created around Latinx culture. And so grateful for the people that came before me so that I could then now step into these spaces, such as playing Lydia on Henthified, who is a completely different female archetype than we've ever seen in Latinx culture. Mm-hmm. But it did. It affected me a lot. And now, I mean, after that, I shaved my head and I was like, you know what? F the industry, F agents, F managers. I want you to see me for me in all of my complexities. And I am going to fill in all of the coloring of this box of an archetype that you say a break, a character breakdown, because they do. They make it so one-sided, so one-dimensional. And I think that's the difference. We're not, nobody is that. No one can fit into this stereotypical box. Right. For me, I'd say my label was always number two. Yep. 
And, you know, in films and shows, they categorize the call sheets by order of importance or, you know, who's getting paid the most, who the lead characters are, whatever. But I found myself regularly fitting the number two line on the call sheet. You know, I was the sidekick, the best friend, just left of center. And that really shaped my psychology. It affected how I walked into meetings, you know, whether I believed I was valuable enough to be a priority in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And today I, I still have to constantly remind myself that I can lead initiatives and I can be the head of this project as number one, not because I care about the hierarchy, but to trust that I can step into that power. Now for everyone listening, imagine if, if we asked you to write your own character breakdown and then we had your family members and your friends do the same, how would each of you describe who you are? Would everyone see the same story or certain qualities more than others? You know, as Annie and I are describing, the world has a perception of you, but you actually have to hold on to the vision for yourself and start creating and designing that life before people can often see that with their own eyes. I agree with that 1000%. Don't dress for the job that you have, dress for the job that you want. And I through and through believe that I am a leading lady, not just on screen, but I'm a leading lady in my life. So why not? Mm -hmm. If not me, then who? Right. So let's enter the audition room Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the audition room is often dreadful and intimidating and can literally look like you're going in somewhere to be interrogated. Um, It reminds me of who we all think we need to be in our daily lives when we walk into work and school and social settings. But just like every casting director has a different energy, so do our bosses and family members and teachers. So the straightforwardness of character breakdowns or say, you know, the expectations people have of us when we enter the room can give us clues as to how they already see us at face value, which often shapes how we see ourselves. But then there's a certain art to figuring out how to remain confident and true to who you are when you're in the waiting room and when you audition. And people go about it many ways. You know, some stay in character the whole time, some wait in the hallway and keep their mind off of it until right before they're called in. Annie, what is your approach to the audition room and process these days? And has it changed over time? It definitely has changed over time. I, I mean, I'm, we're childhood performers, so I think it's in our nature to want to constantly please. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm very much a chameleon and because I'm a performer, I know how to turn it on and turn it off. But now via this journey of understanding humanity, I have learned that anything human is not foreign to me. So anything I'm playing in any breakdown is a version of who I am. I've I've felt heartbreak. I've felt what it's like to be, you know, just left of center. I know what it's like to be center. So depending on what that is, but I don't ever in my mind make it secondary because I realize even the second players in my life story are just as important as I am because I would not be who I am without them. I do this for everything, whether it's going into auditions or even like you said, going in to see family members because everybody emits a different energy. And sometimes there's certain energies that I'm like, okay, at this moment, I don't feel like dealing with this. Not that I don't like them. I just don't want to deal with this, but I have to do and how do I better navigate myself through this situation? So I tend to do affirmations before every encounter I have. Mm. I because I struggle with social anxiety, and I think that's why it's easier for me to perform than to be myself sometimes. Right. So now when I go into an audition room, 
I think I am enough. I am whole. I am human. I am present. I am present because I won't be able to do my job unless I am present and I'm able to be present while reacting. Cause what do we know? Acting isn't acting. It's reacting, right. understanding the present moment. So it's, I always, I start myself with like a series of affirmations and realize that I'm enough with whatever happens. I think that's a huge key, actually. Acting is reacting. A lot of people are always concerned about when the camera's on them, but they say the golden moments are when someone's speaking and the camera goes to see how it's affecting the other person. And of course, there's reaction and then there's response. So when we're playing ourselves in our own biopic, we get to observe and create how we react and are affected by things, mm-hmm. which might be more of an impulse, right? But then we also get to choose how we're going to respond instead of just letting that reaction carry us away without our consent. Mm-hmm. And I think also another thing is how you walk away from an audition or a life event is just as important as how the actual audition went. You can feel almost like you're in a vulnerability hangover and you're bearing your entire self to others only to walk back outside to the rest of the world and realize no one is prepared to meet you at that level of sensitivity and openness. So for me, I have to build in tools to decompress. Whether the audition was perfect or horrible, I have to let it go equally the same and breathe until my nervous system calms down. Sometimes I have to cry or scream or laugh, but I try to support myself because Otherwise, your emotional stamina can corrode or in life, it can lead to a calloused heart. Like you Mm -hmm. opened up 10 times and you're sick of it. So now your body doesn't want to open up to that emotion again, ever. And it'll start closing off when you're trying to access, you know, that vulnerability in the future. So let's get into um, the complexity of human personalities. (laughs) Something that people often take for granted is how many parts of our personality actually contradict each other. I find it really compelling and then also very annoying when the character breakdowns seem so contradictory. Like she's overdramatic, but subdued. Or like she's cheerful and melancholic. My favorite combo that happens in almost every breakdown I'm submitted for is tough exterior yet vulnerable. And you're like, um, what? (laughs) But humans are complicated and paradoxical. So as an actor, how can we display a character's paradoxes or create these layers so the person, you know, doesn't feel static and boring? I can be tough and get rowdy for the people that I love. Right? Like if someone were to come at you, I'd be like, don't you dare I'd kick a motherfucker's butt. Like, don't talk about my girl like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll and I'll get loud. But I think when it comes to things like things personal about me, I'll I concave. So I it's I think it's understanding those and not and not judging the vantage point of the story or judging yourself for these things. Cause I think sometimes that's where we get upset and then want to close off a mm-hmm. certain part of ourselves because we're coming at it from a place of judgment instead of coming at it from a place of understanding. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the biggest contradiction in your own personality? I think the fact that I have social anxiety trips people out. Yes. I was going to say the same. Like, I don't think people understand how severely introverted I am and that I have to regulate my nervous system for everything I do on camera. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but it also just feels like a greater call and purpose. And like, these are where my skill sets are. And this is how I want to serve humans. Most artists are that way. Mm-hmm. Bette Midler says that she throws up before every performance. I see you go through it when we talk before your performances. I'm like, but you're brilliant. You got this. And, you know, I'm trying to, you know, build you up, even though I understand where it's coming from. But it's, it's such a complex thing because most people are so guarded throughout the world. And it's almost like, sheesh, it's our job right. to disseminate this message and and be so vibrant and full of life and be able to speak and tell you how it's possible when later on you're in your room like, it's fine, I did it, I'm going to be okay. I think that's the most beautiful part of what we do because we get to experience the whole circle of, of human emotions. For my relationships earlier on, I had such a troublesome time being vulnerable. So it really limited the depth and sincerity. And I logically was there for them and I was physically present, but you know, my heart had walls just greater than the Great Wall of China. (laughs) You know, (laughs) let's jump into a scene. For me, in my opinion, what separates the newbies from the veterans is nuance. Um, There are infinite choices that we can make for every moment in a scene, from line delivery to physical gestures to finding humor in dark settings, some choices make more sense for your character than others. In terms of Hentified, how does nuance manifest in the various characters? And how did you decipher what creative choices were right for Lydia? I was fortunate to have a really close friendship with the the co-creators, Martin and Linda. So I knew the perspective as to which they were trying to tell her specific story. And it was very centered around Marvin's girlfriend and Linda in particular, both educated young brown women fighting for their communities. Their voice within the fight was so strong and reverent. And I myself, we know I'm, I'm boisterous and I'm loud and I'm, you know, I'm all these different colors on a wall. And Lydia just seemed, seemed more put together than I thought I was at the time while creating her. I found a lot of healing through her because I didn't, re- I, at first I, I read it and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm strong, I'm this, and I do fight for my community, but I don't know it. The whole relationship with her and Eric at first, I was like so dumb. Like, why would she want to be with this asshole? Like, that's where my head was. And I realized I was coming at it from a place of judgment, so I was never going to be able to play it correctly. But the relationship itself, and the reason why I was coming at it that way was the relationship itself reminded me of my mom and dad's relationship. And once I understood that before Lydia was the mother, before she was a teacher, before she was a student, she's just a young woman figuring out her emotions. So there's all these layers on top of it and all these responsibilities and she's holding them up here. But even these beautiful, strong, reverent women need affection and love and they're tender and they want to cater in the ways that they want to cater. And they want to, you know, sometimes you do want to submit and just be loved. And so understanding that within it, and even in her strengths, she wasn't mean. She was, she was a scholar. She didn't have time to see through the emotions or to see the emotion. She's like, this is what I need to do. It's not about me anymore. It's about this. It's about the kids. It's about my kid. So I, and, and understanding that it, it forced me to 
step into that space of myself and then carry it over into my actual life, which I'm grateful Mm. for that. Wow. Yeah. And I think every single character on the show, if you have or haven't seen it, they come from such a different vantage point, yet they're in the same family and community. And that's so important to be able to validate everyone's reality when a big event happens. When I think about, you know, I have two soul sisters and when our parents got divorced and when I moved to LA to pursue acting, each of us really experienced that in a different way. And we're living out the you know, conclusions that we drew from that. We're drawing realities based on how we experienced the same event, yet look how different, you know, the realities have become. So it's fascinating. Now, before we take a quick commercial break, I want to leave the listeners and viewers with some acting homework. So I just want you to think about a scene in your life when you experienced pure joy. How did you react physically emotionally and mentally. And then I want you to think of a scene in your life when you experienced sadness. How did you react physically, emotionally, mentally? If a writer had to create a scene about you and how you coped and recovered from a difficult situation, what would they write? So take some time to contemplate and then we will dive back in to Hentified, Hollywood living and all things acting and identity with Annie right after this. Welcome back. We're here with Annie Gonzalez, star of the Netflix hit series, Hentified. Annie, I thought a fun concept to share with people, which you touched on a bit earlier with um, personal arcs, is scene objective and super objective. And I would love for you to help us walk through what these are using Hentified or other characters you've played across projects. So just a little background. In every scene, there's a micro arc, meaning a starting point and an ending point. And a character spends the scene using tactics to try and get their desired objective met. This could be, you know, I need so-and-so to give me $20, or I want him to tell me he loves me, or I need my toddler to stop crying. And then there's the overall super objective, the macro arc of your character throughout the script and their main mission and journey. Like this could be they want security, or they want revenge, or they want a legacy that lasts beyond their last breath. They want to be free. These micro and macro objectives, of course, can parallel our lives. You know, every day we have a scene objective. Hell, every conversation, you know, we have a scene objective. And over the course of our lives, we have one big super objective that often stems from a deep personal need we have underneath, which then kind of gets glossed over with a bunch of day-to-day goals that seem, you know, far more acceptable and admirable than maybe saying like, I just need to be free. For example, my super objective could be, you know, to make my mother proud of me. But on the surface, it could show up as me striving to achieve greatness and running for powerful positions like being the first female president. So sometimes characters aren't even aware of their own super objective. And if they are, life rarely ever provides a direct line from A to B to get there. So as we talk through this, you know, listen to how we're identifying what our characters want out of life and from where they're motivated. Annie, for Lydia or any other characters, how did you find her super objective and what were some of your scene objectives to help get there? 
We'll talk about complexity, right? And mm-hmm. how there's so many different things in opposition of a character. I feel like a lot of the time you see Lydia pushing Eric away as a means to wanting him to just grow up. She just wants him to grow up. I feel like her super objective is security. That's why she is striving to always be better. She wants to go to Stanford. She needs to do this. Her dad is a big mess all the time. So she needs something stable. She's always the stabilizing driving force. Mm. And maybe because she couldn't depend on Eric to be that security blanket, she had to become her own. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that's why she pushes him away so much. So her micro objective is, let me push you away because this is easier this way if I just do it myself. And it's so interesting because you could see it in the scenes. She's, she's struggling with herself because she's trying to be nice and you can see how much she loves him. But she's like, it's okay. I can do it. I got it. It's fine. Wow. Yeah. So for everyone listening, you know, pick one thing you're doing today and ask yourself, what is my scene objective and how will I go about getting there? Annie, to the best of your knowledge and self-evolution so far, do you know what your super objective is? Or, you know, I guess in other ways, the why behind your hustle, your dream, your actions, I think I'm starting to figure it out more and more, especially by way of this project in particular. Mm. Ooh, I'm feeling a little emotional. So sorry. I've never seen myself represented. And I think in talking about how it affects who you are in the world, especially being, being brown, being a woman, always being depicted as either the help or the whore. That's where my brain was we're so overly sexualized in media that I then in turn, I tended to over-sexualize myself and was comfortable being the fetish. And now as I come to a full circle picture of storytelling and why I do it, it is to have beautiful narratives like this to empower and uplift my community. Because I've had people reach out to me via social saying, By watching you on screen, it reminded me of why I wanted to go back and finish grad school in a completely different medium of their art. And that's my why. I love telling stories. I love giving people an insight to themselves. Mm. And I think that's why I'm here. I am doing the work every day to try and understand who I am so that I can help myself. And by way of helping myself, maybe someone will see me helping myself and want to help themselves. Because mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't do the work for anyone, but I under, I've seen how this ripple effect of what I've done for me has transformed into my family unit. And now how we communicate with each other and how we're able to have loving, beautiful experiences without all the muck of what we're not, but just what we are. And I think as of right now in my young 20 something years of life, that that would be my super objective to help Mm. heal my community. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. Hugging you through the screen. (laughs) So, okay, I think we've done enough diving into the psyche today. (laughs) I want to switch to the body. Most of our communication is nonverbal. So let's talk physicality and mannerisms. Um, This can be, you know, the cute little nose scrunch that your crush does or that annoying smacking sound your grandma makes when she eats. Has anyone ever pointed out any of your mannerisms or quirks? Yes. What are they? (laughs) 
my laugh. It's always <laughs> my laugh. Yeah, paying attention to your physicality can reveal a lot. For example, when you feel inferior to someone, you know, what happens in your body? You tend to cower and look down and kind of keep your limbs tucked in front of your vital organs. And then when you're in charge, how does your physicality change? You might spread your stance and occupy space and puff up your chest like you're doing. And so I think it's, it's always a, an interesting exercise to just think about your life and your everyday posture around different people in your life. You know, with whom do you stand like you're in authority and with whom do you stand like you're lesser or, you know, lower in authority. As actors, we have to be aware of our own mannerisms and our own tics. So, you know, we can get out of our own way to play other people. Otherwise, every character would look more like us than the unique humans in other stories. I want to ask about one more facet of character building before we give the much-deserved attention to Hentified and, and what it's been like skyrocketing to stardom. And that final facet is determining your character's moral compass. Characters, like people, don't always act in accordance with their beliefs. And it's our job as the actor to find those layers. How has playing a character with a different moral compass or situation changed your view of people and how you interact in real life? It has forced me to see the human before I see the title that I have created for the human. I feel like for me, sometimes I, I, I place a title like, you are my friend. Why would you do that? You are my friend. Mm -hmm. And we think because they, they have this title, they're exempt from all of these other things. Like I would never, but given certain circumstances and situations, you might make the same mistake that said friend or parent or whatever did to you. It really has given me a lot more vulnerability for myself. Cause I think the reason why I was so hard on everyone around me is because I'm so hard on myself. So it's given me a little bit more leeway to make mistakes. Here's a quote that I heard. If we learn to have regret without self-reproach, we tend to get over the mistake a little quicker. This is not verbatim, but think about it. The beating that we give ourselves when we are in this state of regret it doesn't do anything. It doesn't help you learn anything any quicker. It doesn't, you know, what, if I were to make you feel bad about something that you did to me, it, it's not going to make this mend quicker. It's going to prolong the situation. You're going to feel worse. And then you might even make the mistake again because you have now embedded in your brain that you are just this person. But if you're able to be like, dang, all right, that was a mistake or I didn't like that part of me. Well, that's not really who I am. That's a result of the trauma that, has, that I've occurred. All right, well, moving forward. So that's kind of now how I look at everything around me. And it's been so much easier in my relationships. I made a mistake with a friend of mine recently and I was like, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. He's like, all right, well, I'm glad that you have self-awareness. Okay, let's move forward. And then again, I saw him again. I was like, I'm sorry. He's like, you're the only one making yourself feel bad about this. I'm, I just want to be here with you. I forgive you. I, I understand that you're an aware human being. You're not going to do it again. You told me you weren't, right? And the trust. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's an incredible, healthy friendship. Yeah. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, we could 
seriously go on for hours and hours and hours. We're going to put the conversation on pause for today and let our brains and bodies digest what we've discussed. I don't want you to miss next week's conversation because I'm going to ask all about the can of worms. Hentified has opened up in terms of social conversations, multicultural stories, media representation, and beyond. Plus, I want to speak with Annie about her own experiences with fame and global attention. Like We're talking dealing with Oprah's team now and meeting AOC and flying across the country for press junkets and you know being recognized everywhere being grilled by press with difficult questions and of course as you've all discovered by being an actor playing yourself today you have so much more to you than what people see at first glance so we will hear all about the rest of the magic of Annie Gonzalez and you don't want to miss this in the meantime be sure to follow her on Instagram just like the thousands of others who are flocking to her page right now <laughs> um, it's at Annie G. Gonzalez with a Z at the end. And, um, and then you'll be perfectly on time for next week's second half. For now, let's get into this week's mantras around acting, storytelling, and identity. Use these to reprogram your thoughts or inspire contemplation throughout your day. All right. Repeat after me in the space for the third. First, every day, I'm becoming more aware of my reactions so I can improve my responses. Every day, I'm becoming more aware of my reactions so I can improve my responses. Second, I create my own character and choose the story I want to tell. I create my own character and choose the story I want to tell. Lastly, the next time I experience regret, I will not prolong it with shame and self-reproach. The next time I experience regret, I will not prolong it with shame and self-reproach. Wonderful. And of course, as we learn how to offer ourselves this kindness and compassion, we then can begin healing those around us and offering the same to them. As always, thank you for listening. Hey, if this was helpful for you, please do take 30 seconds to give us a kind rating and review on your preferred listening platform. And then go ahead and share it with some friends who might enjoy this podcast during global quarantine. Um, be sure <laughs> if you haven't already, subscribe so you can be first to hear our new episodes every week. And thanks again. We'll see you next week with more Annie Gonzalez on Simplexity. Hey, girl. Hey. It's anything but small talk. Peace.